Jean LaRue uh, was uh, a, on the staff of Independent Presbyterian Church. Many of you know that. Uh, several years ago, of course, when Katrina hit, Jean LaRue was born in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And Bay St. Louis took quite a hit with Katrina. In the, in the process of all that, everything that was done, or, or in the unfolding days, God seemed to begin to pull on Jean LaRue's heart to go back. You know, you can call it what you like, but it is, in my mind, a very impressive thing that God has wrought in his life to bring him to the place where he left the cushy job and went and is now investing himself in the, uh, the healing of a certain section of our country. It is my privilege to introduce you, Jean LaRue, as he speaks to us on this missions conference. I've got to say, by way of uh, introduction, thank you, uh, because you have invested not only your financial resources, but time in the ministry in Bay St. Louis. We had this crazy idea when the storm hit that God might indeed intend to see the gospel go forth in a place um, that was totally devastated. And he, uh, he is indeed doing that. And thank you for your participation uh, with us in doing that. It has been absolutely remarkable. Don't think me a spiritual giant for moving back to Bay St. Louis. I told the early service that it is not piety that brought me to Bay St. Louis. It was self-preservation. I have read the book of Jonah. I know when God calls you to do something and you don't do it, you still do it. It was a question of whether I'd go down I-55 or be vomited on the shore of Bay St. Louis. So I went. Uh, and I'd love to tell you more about that. But I'd rather tell you um, about the Word of God. And so let's pray together this morning and then we'll look at His Word. Father in heaven, for some reason, um, you, you who could write the gospel in, in the clouds, who could speak it audibly to us, have chosen for your pleasure um, to let people like me stand before these folks and preach your word. Father, do something remarkable. Um, speak this morning. Strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Let us hear the gospel and not hear me. We do pray in Christ's name. Amen. I was on a, the title of the message this morning is Why Bad People Make Good Missionaries. I was on an airplane flying um, to Atlanta one day, and on the plane there was a, a used USA Today in the seat pocket in front of me. I glanced through it, and on the back page there was a story about how to avoid real estate scams. It listed all the different scams that there were out there and, and specific strategies on how to avoid them. And I read it with some interest, but nothing keen. Until I saw in italics at the end of the article, it was noted that the author of the article was a man who was on his way to federal prison for real estate scams. And I reread it. <laughs> I thought, if there's anybody who's going to give me good information about avoiding real estate scams, it's the guy who's going to prison for doing it. And that principle is something that we see a lot in our lives. I was at a conference where a gal was speaking about Bethany Christian Services and as she talked about adoption, I listened with some interest. And at the end, she mentioned that she herself had adopted seven children. And I listened with greater interest at that point. It seems that the people who are experts in something are the people who know it personally. If you want to know about the law, you ask a lawyer. If you want to know about medicine, you'd ask a doctor. If there's something wrong with your car, you'd find a mechanic and ask him about your car. So here's the question for us. Why is it that when it comes to Christianity, so often we reverse the paradigm and believe that you have to be good to talk about Jesus? 
They want people who are successful Christians, who do it well, who really have it together to talk about Christ. If lawyers know the law and doctors know medicine, when it comes to the redemption of sinners, isn't it precisely the broken, needy, messy people who know about the Savior? Who know what it means to be rescued? Isn't it those folks who know sin, who really know about salvation? I think, I think it uniquely qualifies them to talk about redemption, not necessarily to be the cleaned up victorious evangelicals who are talking about the gospel. John Sartell, who was the pastor of Independent for so many years, told me one thing I'll never forget. He said, Jean, you've got to remember this. He said, there's only two organizations in town where you have to be bad to get in. He said, one is the church. He said, the other is the mafia. <laughs> I think, that's right. You have to be bad to get in. You can't be good. If you tried to join the church, went through the membership class, and came down here to speak to Dr. Young, and you said, I'm so glad to be part of the church because I am a good person. I have not, I don't mess up very often. I've got it all together. My family is perfect. I rarely, if ever, sin. You couldn't get in. You have to be a mess. Think about what you said by walking in the front doors of a church this morning. A church with a cross this morning. What you said was, you are so messy, so needy, so irrevocably broken, that it took nothing less than the murder of the Son of God to rescue you. See, we don't think like that, do we? We think, because somebody goes to church, well, they're good, that's a good person. You'll hear parents talk about, I am so glad that Sally is dating Bobby. Because Bobby goes to church. (laughs) Look at what you're saying when you say Bobby goes to church. He is so wretched, so needy, so bad, that he can't clean up his act, his parents can't fix him. He needed the death of Jesus to rescue him. Y'all, we forget that, don't we? We forget that what it means to be in the church, to be Christian, is that we're broken and that we're needy. No amount of Bible study, no accountability group, nothing can rescue me other than the perfect life in the shed blood of Jesus. I want to refer you to two passages of Scripture. The first is in the book of Romans. It's in page 941 of your pew Bible if you want to follow. Two poignant verses about the condition of our souls, that we're not good people, that we are people who are needy, who are broken, sinners who understand sin. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, As it is written, no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. It's almost as if the text presupposes our argument with it. Wanting to say, but wait, wait, isn't... No, not even one. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says this. It's a description of man before the flood, before God pours out His wrath in that moment. Listen to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Y'all, there could not be any greater statement of the description of my heart. 
That what pulses through it are not things that I would be happy to share with you. If there was the opportunity to put them on the overhead screen, I'd bail out. I don't want you to know. Because Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 is true of me. You know what that means? If Romans chapter 3 is right and Genesis chapter 6 is right, there are no good people here today. Not the ministers, not the staff, not the missionaries, not you. No one is good, not even one. But you know what that means? The people most qualified to talk about a subject, right, are the people who know it well. And I know sin well. There is a Jesus who rescues sinners. That's why bad people make good missionaries. I saw a sign outside of a church one time, and I'd suggest to you the sign itself is demonic. You say, wow, that's a strong statement. Let me tell you the sign. It was well-intentioned, but wrongly written. As you drove out of the parking lot, there was a pavement where it met the road, and you got off the concrete, and the sign faced in. So as you drove out, you saw the sign. And this is what the sign said. The last thing you're to remember as you drive out of the church parking lot, it said, your mission field begins here. And when I saw that sign, you know what it means? It means that the mission field is the thems, the bad people out there. Once you get onto the pavement and off the parking lot of the church, then the thems are there, the bad people, the ones who need Jesus. The us's are okay. We come and get our tanks filled and go out to the bad people. Look, if you want to put that sign in a theologically accurate place in the church, hang it over the mirrors in all the bathrooms. Because the mission field begins here. The mission field begins here. I need Jesus, not the thems, the us's. We need Jesus, right? That's what we said when we walked in the door. That cross is not decoration. We need Jesus. Because we know our sin. I was a marketing major in college, and I've always had this dream of doing something with the church. We, uh, the church in Bay St. Louis is very small. It's 29 people and a dog. And, uh, and that's the truth. We had a dog in our one-year anniversary service on the front row. And these 29 people, I thought, we need to market the church. You know, church growth, we're the emerging church. At Ground Zero, the greatest natural disaster of U.S. history. (laughs) We're trying to emerge. So here's the billboard campaign. The first one rolls out, and this is what it says. What do you call a liar, a thief, a murderer, and an adulterer all rolled into one? Our pastor. What do you think? Just put that on the highway in Bay St. Louis. The second one is for the congregation, really. And it said, what do you get when you're on your third marriage your second bankruptcy, and your last pack of cigarettes at Lanyap Presbyterian Church. Good company. Now, what do you think? What do you think people would say? If you put that up, some in the Presbyterian circles would say it is not decent and in order. But you know what the people who are on their third marriage, their second bankruptcy, and their last pack of cigarettes would say? They'd say, where is that church? Because apparently... It's okay that we're not okay there. It's okay that we can be messy there. Because they said it right on the billboard. There's a great ministry here in Memphis. I'd commend it to you immensely. It's called Love in Action. It helps people who are coming out of all types of addictions. uh, Many of those sexual addictions. Pornography, uh, homosexuality, other things. It's a fabulous ministry. 
And I was privileged to have participated with them as I had a congregation member, a student who was going through the program and was invited to the group session um, on one particular weekend. And in that conversation, as I was there on the weekend, one of the clients described their struggle. And everyone listened. And the client said, as I was driving home from work, I passed a gentleman's club and really wanted to stop. And all these hands went in the air. And I thought, goodness, are they going to ask questions? And the hands went down. And they kept talking. And he said, but I passed by, but then I turned around. And the hands went back up in the air. And he said, I pulled in the parking lot. And I didn't want to go in, but I did. And hands went in the air again. And the story unfolded and went on. And afterwards, the facilitator asked me, he said, well, what did you think? And I said, it, it, was, it was very moving. I said, but I was troubled by all the questions. And he never answered any of them. The hands went up and he never took a question. It was so troubling. And the facilitator looked at me with great compassion. And he said, Jean, he said, one of the rules at Love in Action is you never struggle alone. So whenever someone is sharing something that they have struggled with, if you have been there yourself, you have to raise your hand. And that's how the person never sits and struggles alone. They know that other people have been there. And as he told me that, what I thought was that is what the church ought to be. It ought to be a place where you could raise your hand. Where you don't give people the evangelical O. You've heard the O before. Somebody says, hey, where's, where's your husband? Well, we're not doing well. And you go, oh, I will pray for you. And someone else says, well, my, my kids, you know, they're really in a bad way. They've gotten involved with a bad crowd. One of them is even in rehab right now. And we go, oh, I am so sorry. And we give the evangelical, oh, rather than raising our hand and say, I've been there. I just hit it better than you. I managed it and spun it right and got the right people around me and nobody knew because I kept it quiet. Y'all, it is okay that we are not okay because Jesus is better than being better. It is okay if we raise our hands and say, us, us too. The gospel, the gospel makes it okay that we're not okay. Look, as a southerner, you're taught two things. From the minute you're born, you're taught how to smile and lie. Okay? That's what we do. When the food is terrible, we smile and lie. When somebody says, how do I look? And they look terrible, we smile and we lie. That's what we do. And we walk into church after husbands and wives screaming, screaming at each other in the minivan all the way here, having screamed at the kids to get them out of the car, having screamed at everybody. And you walk in the front door of the church, you go, good morning. And someone says, how are you this morning? How are you? And we say, fine right that's how we are we're all fine we are fine my life is falling apart everything is terrible i hate my husband but i am fine <laughs> right and we smile and we lie and that's what we do and you know what the world is dying to see us do to raise our hand to say me too to not say oh i will pray for you pray for them but tell them to pray for you too. Because you need it. That's us. The world is waiting for us to raise our hands and say, me too. It's not for the thems. It's for the thems and the uses. See, the horror of Christianity to most in our culture is that what we do is from a place of strength and togetherness, we tell the thems to raise their hands and be good like us. Y'all, that's hell. The truth is that we need Jesus. Jesus died for the us's. 
for the messes like you and me. I want to tell you about a girl named Courtney. Courtney is involved with a ministry in Denver, Colorado called Streets Hope. Uh, it's a ministry that rescues women out of the sex for sale industry. Um, Courtney wrote a blog one day as having been a client, having come to understand the grace of Christ. And she wrote this poem called Conversations Through the Bathroom Door. And I want to read it to you. It says, Mommy, the VCR won't play. Well, baby, is the power on? What color do I push? The red button, then it'll turn green, okay? Can you just show me, Mom? Not right now. Please, just a minute, honey. He's forever five years old, waiting for me to come out. I pray to find a vein, but I can't see for the sickness. My eyes water, my insides churn like butter. My ears are ringing and I forget he's even there. I can't find the new book, Mama. Where is it? Look under the bed, sweetie. No, just come out now, Mama. I need you to look. He's pounding on the door now. And soon it will turn into a rhythm that I can't even hear. I finally flash and find my friend in my neck. Not hearing his pounding or questions, I'm in heaven. My senses tingle once again. I hear his voice, Mom, are you coming out? Mommy, are you okay? I'll never know if he was watching. I'll never know what my deafness did to him. If only I could have opened the door the minute he asked for help. If only I could have pressed the play button. But those are memories I now live with. It doesn't stop me from wondering just what he saw through the bathroom door. If your life was falling apart, if your marriage was a mess, and your kids were in trouble, do you think you could talk to Courtney? I guarantee it. You know why? Because Courtney raised her hand. She raised her hand in front of the whole world and said, I'm needy. I'm broken. I understand my sin. I understand the suffering in life. And I understand that Jesus is better. See, that's what she did, y'all. That's why bad people make good missionaries. Because we understand that bad people know what it means to have a Savior. Look, I'm not just arguing for transparency. We understand sharing and transparency in our culture. We've been Dr. Filled and Oprah'd to death. Everybody shares with everybody and all those things. I'm not saying we don't understand transparency. I'm saying very often we don't understand the gospel that makes it okay that you're not okay. The truth that Jesus is better than you being better. The thing that lets us raise our hand and say, me too. The world is waiting to see us raise that hand, you know. Look, if Jesus did what the Bible says He did, He lived a perfect life because I could not. And He lived an atoning death and died on a cross because I could not atone. So the truth is, is that Jesus has rescued a wretch like me. Is Amazing Grace your favorite hymn or your biographical song? That's what the world wants to know. Do we just sing the truths of Christianity or is it really true? We love to sing it. We love to sing it. But friends, are we living like it's true? Has anyone seen you raise your hand lately? Has your spouse heard you say, me too, as they struggled to get out the words, I'm sorry? 
Do your children feel like you are just the monitor of their failures or that you are the chief repenter in the home leading them to the cross? Have they seen you there ever or lately? You see, the Gospel makes it okay. It makes it okay that you're not okay. In fact, to understand the Gospel, you can't be okay. You have to be needy. And you have to be broken. When Hurricane Katrina hit, um, we were walking down the street. We were there two days after it hit. We, My aunt and uncle both drowned in their home. We pulled their bodies out, got them in a refrigerated tractor-trailer truck to keep them. That's what we did. It was, it was a nightmare to live through. Um, we'd go to the end of the street where the National Guard would drop off pallets of ice and water and MREs, and we'd get food every day, and then we'd go back and try and help the people we could find. Um, one day as we walked down the street, kind of a group of us walked down, there was a guy coming the other way. That wasn't abnormal. What was abnormal was that he was holding a hinged styrofoam-lidded box eating piping hot beef stew and holding a Coke. Now, keep in mind, for two weeks, we'd eaten nothing but tuna fish and cracker, anything that just kept, and you could smell the beef stew from half a mile away. And it was just like, I felt like a floating cartoon character, you know, going straight to it. And we looked at this guy. All we could get out were the words. We just said, where? (laughs) Where? And he knew exactly what we were asking. And he just pointed. He was like, over there, there's a Salvation Army truck. So we ran there and we got the food and it was, it was the best beef stew I've ever eaten in my whole life. Look, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that because it's a great illustration of what C.S. Lewis said Christianity is. Christianity is beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. You see, he had what we wanted. And he pointed us to it. Listen to me. The mistake we make in Christianity is that often we do not believe that we are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We believe, subtly believe, that we are actually bakers telling other beggars how to bake like us. Get it together. When you finally get into the church after you go through the discipleship classes and the mentoring and the membership classes and all that, then one day, and once you're reformed, of course... Then you will be able to bake a loaf of bread like me. And you will have attained to the level of Christianity that God intends. No, 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 no. There is but one baker. And he himself is the bread of life. Do the people around you believe that you are a beggar who has found the bread of life? Or do they perceive that you are a baker? A resource person with the answers helping others attain to the level that you have made it. Friends, your friends are dying to see you raise your hand and say, I am starving for Jesus. I am needy for Jesus. I am broken without Jesus. Look, I am telling you this as one well-seasoned Pharisee who can bake a better loaf of bread than you ever thought about baking. I can bake it in Greek. I can bake it in Hebrew. I can break, I can bake it from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. I went to seminary so I could be the emerald of the kingdom of God. I wanted to be the resource person. Oh, your muffin is cute. Look at the loaf I have made. That voice is in no way reflective at all of you. (laughs) It's very intimidating to preach in a church. I mean, I was, this is a total aside. I went to all boys Catholic boarding school. 
I came home the first day of seventh grade when we had our pep rally, and I told I was crying. I told my mother, it's unfair, it's unfair. She said, why is it unfair, honey? I said, because all the seniors say, go, team, go. And I said, all the seventh graders go, go, team, go. <laughs> That's how I feel again today here. The guy who stands before you is a desperate Pharisee. I want to talk about my sin to you in neatly packaged past tense sermon illustrations telling you how I conquered it so that it's actually a subtle illustration of my victorious application of Jesus rather than a true confession of my need of the gospel. On the way to Memphis, my wife and I stopped for two hours in Hattiesburg because that's where our counselor lives. And it was great. And we cried and hugged and we needed to be there. Because I am not a baker. I am a beggar who showed up and said, feed me the bread. I need it. Y'all, has anyone lately seen you beg for bread? You know what would happen? They'd come with you. (laughs) They'd come with you. They'd say, they know where the, the beef stew is. They've been rescued by Jesus. Are you bad enough, truly bad enough to be a good missionary? Now, I'm not asking you to go out and do bad things. You don't need any help. I'm sure of it. I'm just asking you to be honest. To let somebody see that you need Jesus. Because you know, they'll go with you. When they don't get the evangelical O, when they don't get the I'll pray for you, when they see you with your hand in the air, they'll go with you. They will see it because they're a broken, hurting, needy people all around you. Most honest prayer request I ever got was in Bay St. Louis. There's a girl um, who's a crystal meth addict. She's had her children taken away from her. She showed up at church one day totally by herself. She asked the assistant pastor, she said, I really need you to pray for me. He said, sure. He said, what should I pray for? She said, I get my government check today. She said, pray that I don't buy drugs with it. Hand in the air. She's really struggling. That's not one unspoken. (laughs) That's a real prayer request because she is a mess. So cheer up. You're a wretch. (laughs) Me too. But Jesus died for wretched people. That's what grace is all about, right? That it's okay that we're not okay. Now you may be sitting here and go, that guy's a little hard on us. Those verses, I mean, they're true, but they're not really true. Look, if you're confused at all about whether or not you are sinful, get married. Okay? If you're still confused and you're married, you go, well, I am married. Ask your spouse. They will tell you. And if they lie to you because they're from the South, then ask your mother-in-law. She will tell you. (laughs) Friends, Jesus died for messy people. It's okay. It's okay that you're not okay. Jesus is present tense, actively working to rescue sinners. And His atonement is still sufficient for His children. I'll tell you one more thing and then I'll pray. My cousin who's from New York City... Uh, came down to Bay St. Louis, and my whole family's Catholic. We all grew up Catholic. I was Catholic. Um, the whole thing. And so he wants to know, the area where I live is about 95% Roman Catholic. And so he kind of has got that New York accent, which sounds like it could be from the Bronx or from Louisiana. And, and he, said, he said to me, he said, I want to know something. I said, all right. His name is Paulie Gilliberti. And I said, what do you want to know, Paulie? And he said, he said, what kind of church is this Lanyap church you got here? And I said... I said, well, Paul, I said, everybody on the coast expects that when they go to church, the people will confess their sins to the priest. 
As I said, at Lanyap, the priest is going to confess his sins to the people. He goes, I'd come to hear that. <laughs> and then he thought for a minute about it. And he goes, he looked right at me. He goes, you ain't got enough time in your service for that. <laughs> and you know what I said? You're dead right. Because you know what? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Paul, that's right. I don't know how many, If we did it every Sunday, I couldn't do it. There's not enough time. And you know what happens? People want to know about a Jesus who makes it safe for it to be okay that you and I are not okay. I want to ask you this morning, are you a good person telling other people about Jesus baking loaves for your neighbors? Or are you a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread? And you may be sitting here this morning and you're visiting or have been here forever and you say, well, I don't think I'm either. I don't think I'm good and I don't think I'm a beggar. I just thought I was okay. Look, bad people don't just make good missionaries. They make great Christians. You may be sitting here this morning. The person you could relate to most was Courtney. And you go, but I'd never write that. If anybody ever knew what I was really like, look, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And it's okay. He came to rescue sinners. It's okay. Raise your hand. He will not turn you away. And there's a little secret. You wouldn't even be able to hear his voice if he didn't let you. So friend, whether, whether you've known Christ for 10 years or 10 minutes, it's okay. Jesus came to let bad people be good missionaries and bad people be great Christians. Ask yourself this morning and then I'm praying. Are you ready to raise your hand? You ready to own your own beggarness and be bad enough to be a good, good missionary? Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, so often the last thing I want to do is raise my hand. Uh, the last thing I want to do is be actively present tense messy. Um, the last thing I want is to need Jesus. I want to have recovered from my sin. Father, thank you. Thank you for the only virtue sin offers which is having driven me to Christ. Lord God, I pray for each of us in this room that we would know more and more the sufficiency of the person of Christ and the hope of the gospel. And Father, let that free us. Let that free us to go to Jesus himself, the bread of life. And we do pray in his name. Amen.